Good evening. Welcome to the November 2nd edition of the Carolina Weather Group. I cannot believe I am saying that it is November already. It feels like it was just the summertime, and with the weather we've been having around our neck of the woods, it seems like it still is summertime for a majority of our area. But nevertheless, we uh, will go into the month of November and carry on with our topics. We have a really good show lined up for you guys tonight. Tonight we are talking about students in meteorology and bringing in a few students that are still in school, about ready to graduate, to kind of see what their experiences have been all throughout their college careers, what they've done, what their class load has been like, how they've been involved in different groups. Uh, We've got a pretty good lineup of students. We have a couple different universities uh, represented. We have Florida State University represented, Matthew Reagan, joining us, who's been on our show before. We also have someone from NC State, Brandon Black, joining us as well tonight. And one of our regular panel members is going to become a guest tonight. We've got Kit joining us, who, of course, goes to UNC Charlotte. He's joining us as well to uh, kind of round out our student panel as we go through the evening. I think all students kind of have that eureka moment when they finally figure out what the heck they're doing. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is how it applies. This is why I had to learn that. There were a few moments for me when I was going through my undergrad of, so this is why we had to take that physics class. Or this is why we had to take that class. And uh, eventually it all, it all comes full circle, it seems. You guys I'll mentioned... I'll here if I've got my mic on. We got you. Go ahead, Kit. Sorry. All right. Um, Dr. Easton was uh, talking to us. He's our, uh, one of our professors that teaches most like uh, synoptic and tropical and does the intro to thermodynamics. Um, but uh, he was, I can't remember what was the other day saying like the reason for why physics two is a requirement. And like, that's one of the most dreaded courses of the prerequisites for um, our major here is the physics two because the physics department is well known for their optics research and they're apparently great at that, but they're not the best at their introductory level teaching. Um, so it, it's always a, a struggle for all of the students who go through that. And um, like uh, they were saying, like forming those study groups really helps you out. But it was nice having that sort of aha moment when like, like okay, so I remember doing this for a week in physics and that's why we had to have it. So I suffered through it and now I can do the meteorology behind it all. And so, you know, as you guys have progressed through your college careers, you started off with, with, you know, some of the, the horrors, but you also have some fun classes and each college seems to be different. I mean, we, I had my favorite classes, I'm sure at UNCC, like tropical and mesoscale, but what's some of the classes that are unique to your college or, that you really think that every student should get a little bit of information on. Brandon, we'll let you jump in here first. Um, Ours, I would say probably we offer a, uh, the radar meteorology class. And I don't know, it's actually technically it's a grad level class, but it is open to undergrads. And so far I, I ended up taking it my sophomore year, but a lot of my fellow students or fellow classmates right now are taking it fellow seniors, they're actually studying for a test right now. So some of them weren't able to join, but um, I think that was probably one of the most helpful classes. I mean, just I don't know how many universities offer some sort of, it's not just radar, but they also cover some satellite. But you just learn a lot about, it's a fun class, There's, it's not hard, but it's, you do learn a lot about applications for that are necessary in the field later down the road. I mean, learning 
you know, the different things about dual pull, some of the good things and bad things, how to look at dual pull, how to look at velocity signatures. Not everybody, you know, you might learn that later down the road, but actually taking a class, um, Dr. Sandra Uter does a great job with that class. And that one, that one's probably one of my favorites so far um, as an elective. Um, I haven't really taken a lot of other geology uh, electives, probably I'm taking marine next semester, so I'll see how that one goes. Marine and mesoscale next semester, so that'll be interesting. But other than that, my other favorite meteorology class is just synoptic, what I'm currently in with Dr. Lackman. I mean, it's just a great class. And overall, you just learn so much in such a short period of time. And you, I think that's where a lot of, at least from what I've heard from peers, where a lot of, at least NC State students, have a complete eureka moment. And as you're talking about the eureka moment of, so this is what all that math, all that dynamics, thermodynamics, that's how this all works. Actually putting it into the things. That's, I think, synoptics probably number one on the list so far. Well, I think for me, uh, my favorite class, at least one of the unique classes that they offer here, um, is operational uh, and that's taught by, because we're co-located with the National Weather Service, so one of the employees from the Weather Service comes down and teaches the class. And it's not a huge class, it's more of a, uh, an elective, but I think it's something that is important for people to take. I think it's unique. Uh, again, not, not super hard, but it's one of those things where you take everything you know and the rubber meets the road, and uh, you learn kind of the weather service perspective if you want to go that route. Of course, we also have the whole studio aspect of it here. So you can take a weather casting class. So you can go complete different directions where you can go weather service. Uh, of course, our, the big three will take us down the research path. Um, and then if you want to learn how to communicate, which I think that every department should require, at least personally, I think that there should be some sort of communication uh, involved with this meteorology degree, maybe even weather casting. I know there's some places that offer it, some places that don't. Uh, but here we're, we're fortunate enough to have that. Um, and I think that's helped me teach meteorology, which has really helped me understand meteorology in, in hindsight. Ken, how about you at, NC, at uh, UNCC? Well, see, there was one uh, class that I was really excited for this semester that um, we had a Last, last year, they were hiring a new professor, and um, he was going to teach boundary layer. Well, over, over the summer, he uh, was sent the papers to sign off on being the new professor, and he sent them back, said, no thanks. Um, kind of upset I didn't get to take that one, but um, of the ones I have taken, I think my favorite was probably, yeah, probably our instrumentation class. All the different types of um, weather instruments work and how they're designed how they're um, the coolest ones was the sonic anemometers you just have like three different axes of the timing is delayed a little bit and then that's how it calculates the wind direction and speed in three dimensions because typical anemometer just has the rotary cups and then a single wind vane but you can't get any vertical I, I think it was cool to just see how different systems works and so we're we've talked about you know your your early stages of your undergrad career we've talked about the classes that you've had to take the classes that you have dreaded to take so let's go into your senior year 
and each school is also seems to be different. But when do you guys really uh, at each school, uh, Matt? When do you guys dive into Synoptic? When do you take Dynamics? It's pretty much up to. Usually, the students can split up because we have uh, atmospheric physics or thermodynamics, uh, dynamics, and synoptic. And you can choose to do two or one. And a lot of people choose to do synoptic uh, by itself uh, just because it is kind of where everything comes together. So people want to kind of spend the most time on it. Um, Even though dynamics, at least here, the way dynamics is taught, it's kind of like the math of synoptic. So they kind of go hand in hand. Um, But usually around your, I guess, junior, senior year is when we'll start diving into the the meat and potatoes of meteorology. Um, I know a a few people choose to do all of them at the same time, uh, physics, dynamics, and synoptic. And part one and part two here at Florida State, so it's fall, spring, uh, which usually is not the most recommended thing to do, but people get through it. They do it, um, and they don't necessarily have fun, but uh, they get it done. Now, Matthew, I got a, a question for you. Now, I see that you're doing some forecasting there for your campus, uh, and you're very much active with uh, getting the word out about local weather, uh, microscale weather, anything of the sort. Is that something that they're teaching now and you're at FSU or even Brandon at, at NC State or even Kit? Are they teaching actual forecasting, operational forecasting? in the meteorology degree programs? Uh, in terms of here at FSU, we have one uh, class, weather analysis and forecasting, where it's kind of pretty much baby synoptic, where we just kind of, you know, first get into it, how to forecast, how to uh, get, I mean, get off our feet a little bit, in, interpreting the models, how to, um, that that was one of my favorite classes because it was just pure pure weather, pure weather geeking out where you just look at the charts and you figure it out. Um so that was that was the forecasting in class experience. Of course, out of class experience, most of what at least personally I learn is down here in the studio, uh, learning over time how to forecast better because we have to forecast for our own show. Um, at at NC State, um, it's, we actually do some decent amount of forecasting in classes. It's mainly in Dr. Lachlan's synoptic class where he actually um, he requires every one of his students as part of your grade you have to sign up for the national. Uh, weather challenge, the OUWX challenge. Um, the whole class is at least signed up for the semester that we take it. We take it this uh, fall of our uh, senior year. And the way it works is that each week um, you're paired up in groups with each other and you actually have to give a briefing on a actual weather briefing in front of the class on the weather challenge city as well as Raleigh. And so each day you usually get about one briefing every two weeks. Um, and we have to give give our forecast in our briefing, and we're graded on the briefing as well as how we do in the weather challenge as a whole. So that's kind of our main forecasting, at least in classes. I mean, and Dr. Lackman will critique us, and you're pretty lenient on it, but it's you know it's not easy to stand up in front of your peers and give a actual synoptic briefing as you're learning a lot of things. And he kind of blends it in with his class, and then. If you elect, um, Mesoscale is actually an elective for, I don't know how it is at other schools, but for us, it's an elective and we go, it's usually a lot of people take it there after, it's synoptics a prerequisite. So you take it the spring of your senior year before you graduate. And uh, 
Dr. Matt Parker does also continues the whole briefing. He does a daily briefing where he picks a random city that could have some sort of severe weather or something going on. He picks a random city and Raleigh and you have to once again, give forecast briefings for part of your grade. So we have actually two classes that require some sort of actual forecasting and being able to brief publicly to not only professors, but um, we've had some grad students come into our briefings before. I mean, they used to have it where the grad students were there. And along with that, we actually, about three years ago, my, my freshman year, actually no, it was my sophomore year, so two years ago, um, a, buddy of my, a buddy of mine and myself actually created a new club here where it basically focuses all on we do a lot of forecasting. We do uh, forecasting for like severe weather events or some sort of extreme weather. So if we have a snowstorm in Raleigh, we'll spend, we'll try and get everybody up into our uh, meteorology lab and do some sort of forecast discussion. We've had um, professors sit in on it, um, grad students. We've had a whole bunch of people sit on it for uh, severe weather. And um, we also had it for a couple of snowstorms. And then what we like to do is afterwards we do, after we create our forecast, we'll do some sort of forecasting competition with it, like, you know, how much snow is going to fall in Raleigh or so on. And then afterwards, we generally do some sort of case study on the event to see how, you know, everything verified. So we do do a decent amount. We've been trying to work on doing more forecasting within the department as more operational and just kind of getting to be able to get people to look at models and understand what's going on and it's a good way we found that sometimes your seniors can talk to the underclassmen and give them a heads up of, you know, this is some things that you're going to need to know or some things that necessarily if they have questions about, okay, why is this happening? You can kind of give them a maybe not complete senior answer, but a more general answer. And we found that it helps people be able to communicate some of the more harder things than meteorology that we might understand, but maybe a general public person or somebody who's new to meteorology doesn't understand. That's one thing we've kind of been working on, especially in the last about year and a half. Right. If you, if you look at the forecast area discussions from all the national weather service offices, most people wouldn't understand what half of that even means. So is that, is that the kind of quality forecasting that you guys are, are practicing? I mean, at least, at least if you're getting that kind of quality, you can kind of bring that level down and uh, have a better understanding of, of a general forecast that you could put out in a very small amount of time. Yeah. Um, for the uh, synoptic and mesoscale, I mean, they're based, we're required to write an AFD and they're generally supposed to be um, geared towards a synoptic meteorology student and geared towards someone who has been through the rigors of meteorology, a little more meteorology extensive, but, um, Dr. Lackman actually just started working on it this year where he's been throwing into like some of his labs or some of his quizzes and stuff in class where you have to, the question would be something like explain some sort of synoptic phenomenon to somebody that maybe does, has no clue what that is. Don't you, you can't use any meteorology jargon. You have to be very black and white and just be able to explain it because I guess a lot of, as he's talked to other people across the country, the National Weather Service, um, local um, private industry people, a lot of them are looking for people that are good at communicating, good at communicating to regular people that don't understand meteorology. Like he said, with the AFDs, they're very, a lot of jargon, a lot of abbreviations, but 
you also need to be able to explain that to someone who wouldn't understand that. He's been definitely trying. There's definitely seen, been a push towards that kind of teaching to where we're not just, okay, you know, this is some sort of crazy meteorological jargon. Like I saw barrack wind. Nobody knows what half the people don't know what that is, but you should be able to explain it. If you can explain to somebody correctly, then they might be able to understand it a little better. Yeah. That's a, one of the hardest things is uh, translating that down into lay terms. So how about you, Kit? Uh, Do they teach uh, operational forecasting there at UNCC? Well, in our first, we have two synoptic classes. We have a synoptic you take as your junior and then advanced synoptic as a senior. And um, as a junior in synoptic class with Terry Shirley, um, he pairs us up and, or, well, we can choose our own pairs, but um, we get in pairs and we'll do uh, like, Matt and Brandon were saying, we'll get in front of the class. Uh, we'll ha- have, we'll go up and explain, all right, hey, there's this synoptic setup, and then we've got this, 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 and just go over a full AFD for uh, just the country and the local area. We also are required by Dr. Easton, as well as Mr. Shirley, to do the uh, Oklahoma University Weather Challenge. We're all actively participating in that, uh, for the most part, at least. Um, but then once you get to uh, advanced synoptic, uh, Dr. Easton has us individually and give these briefings. And it's sort of the same setup, but in advanced synoptic, we learn the quasi-geostrophic uh, theory. Like We have to give our discussion and then support it using a QG analysis. All right, so you've got this upper level stuff with this mid-level stuff that induces this, which induces sinking motion. So the low will move here through that as you do your discussion. Um, additionally, in meteorology, uh, we do presentations weekly. Usually it's like, uh, we just go through once um, in tropical, the list of students one time, because by the time it gets to November, there's usually not much out there. In fact, the last person to give their uh, tropical briefing, it was the week after Matthew. So nothing else has happened. And so there was that small little thing that wanted to try to be auto, but um, they accurately said that it's not going to do anything. There is a forecasting class where we sit down and write AFDs daily. And usually people take as a junior. I took it uh, my sophomore year, but I had a screwed up schedule uh, of everything being mixed up, which is a whole other story. But um, they're actually making it a writing intensive course which for the major, we need two writing intensive courses just so that we have that practice of sitting down and writing a mostly scientific sounding paper. But the uh, forecasting class is going to be re-geared towards a more intensive, more detailed uh, analysis in how we write out the forecast discussions. I wish I could take it again, but I have to be stuck with environmental planning. I was going to ask Matthew, if you were talking to somebody elementary school, middle school, high school age who had the weather or meteorology bug and was going to be preparing themselves to go into school, what advice would you give them? Probably my biggest advice uh, to give somebody who wanted to do this is to not give up, especially when they want to. Uh, There's going to be nothing is easy about science. Um, Some people it's easier, some people it's not. The overall denominator is that it's hard, um, but it is so rewarding if I'm talking to a, a younger, younger generation, I guess maybe I'd dumb that, dumb that down a little bit. But really, they're going to 
face a lot of what whatever the new world in 10 years has to offer, uh, especially whatever the new meteorology world has to offer. And uh, it could be really cool, and it'll probably keep getting harder. It'll probably keep getting more difficult. It's not going to get any easier. So sticking with it, I mean, there were moments when I just did not want to do this anymore. Uh, I think a lot of people have those moments. Even in high school, preparing for it, it's just the, the daunting task of, all right, we're going to college, we're going away from home, we're going to do a science really intensive thing. Um, but just sticking with it as much as you can because the moment when you can walk off the stage calling yourself a meteorologist, that's when you get to – it's when you look back and it's all rewarding. Yeah, I have to agree with Matt on that one. It's definitely just don't give up. I mean, it's – very difficult and a lot of people I mean you go through meteorology and you probably ask any almost any meteorologist and at some point there was just some one night one day could have been a week could have been a semester where they just wanted to pound their head through a desk and not want to do it anymore and you just kind of have to stay at it and keep working at it and the other thing is is go to class I mean that's probably the biggest thing you're going to have times where you're just not going to want to go to class but even if you have that 8 a.m class you still need to get up and go it's definitely worth it you mean even if you don't think you're learning anything it's still better to be in class and miss it so speaking from experience i think i think we've all been there uh, i know I, i'm curious with, with each one of you to uh, get an idea of, of what it is that you hope to do down the road with with the degree that you'll be walking away with now i'll go ahead and start uh um i'm definitely looking to go into more uh, operational um, some sort of operational meteorology, either whether it's some sort of private industry or a uh, national weather service. Uh, currently have a, I guess it's considered a part-time job, but it's part-time job slash internship with uh, Panasonic right now as one of their forecasters here in Morrisville, North Carolina. I do uh, some of their tropical, I do their tropical outlooks and I'm um, also forecasting for Denver, Denver International Airport. So it's, um, it's definitely kind of the route that I'm looking to go towards more operational. That's where I think my strongest suit is. I mean, I thought about doing some research and if eventually I'll probably have to go to grad school to make it into the tropical, just given or into the operational, just given the, how difficult it is sometimes definitely in the meteorology field to get a job. Um, grad school will probably be next, but from there, it's definitely some sort of operational meteorology, whether it's national weather service or private sector. And you, Kit? Um, I'm really looking into uh, going into broadcasting. Uh, I've always um, enjoyed sort of the um, communication side of uh, of weather and of just science. Like, I'm sure many of the other panelists on here know that if you get me talking on a topic that I really enjoy, I will go on until someone else starts talking over me. So I'll keep rambling on to whoever's listening. But I just enjoy... Um, explaining things to a level that um, I feel that I can do it well and it feels like a civic duty that if I have the knowledge and if I can tell people about it, it's almost my duty to be that resource for someone. Like if they need to know that they need to get somewhere safe, um, when someone finally hears what they need to hear and takes the appropriate actions to just keep uh, themselves and the rest of the public safe. Okay, Matt, how about you for your uh, after post-school goals? Uh, kind of going off what Kit said, I, I think that 
broadcasting would be the best route for me. I feel like I can explain things well. Um, recently, I've I've kind of wanted to. Uh, there's, I feel like there's a the National Weather Service. They kind of they know the weather. I guess they're the leading authority on the weather. Um, so maybe trying to get into there in some sort of communication fashion. Uh, I know there are some local offices doing local things where they're trying to do video briefings for the public, put them on Facebook, Twitter, um, and just not to knock some of the broad, some of the uh, forecasters there, but they're just not they're not broadcasters. So there's maybe there's some wiggle room where they can kind of cross the streams a little bit more. Either way, at the end of the day, I'd like to be able to communicate to the public uh, what what's going on with the weather because they're our leading employer um, at the end of the day. So I think that broadcasting would be a cool a cool place to go and somewhere, at least in the communication of weather. Very good. As we're getting kind of close to the hour here, we always ask our guests, or one of the questions we ask our guests, not every single time. I know, Matt, you, you answered this before, but we have uh, a, a kind of a new audience for this show tonight. What got you involved in meteorology to begin with? What got you interested? Was there something that happened in your childhood years or something that got you glued to it for life? Uh, well, for me, I think uh, it was 2004, 2005, hurricane season. I think for a lot of people who lived in Florida or the Gulf Coast or, or anywhere, uh, it, it was 04, 05. I think that was kind of like the nail in the coffin for me of, all right, I'm going this route, even though I was young. Um, right after the hurricane, I was outside as soon as it was safe enough to go out there and just looking at all the damage. And for some reason, it fascinated me. I, it sounds kind of cynical to see that damage fascinated me, but I guess that's kind of where the spark came from. And uh, luckily Florida state was in state and one of the, one of the best schools, I think. Uh, so it was kind of up the road and I decided to, to go there. And of course I looked elsewhere, but it was that those hurricanes that did it for me. I know a lot of people, it's tornadoes, hurricanes, big events, but that was, that was the year. And how about you, Kit? Well, for me, it was uh, probably the 2002 ice storm was, uh, as Matt said, the nail in the coffin. Um, like when I was little uh, back living in uh, Dallas, North Carolina, before we moved to Belmont, uh, there was a thunderstorm on the horizon out towards the Charlotte skyline. And I had just like read something in second grade about, Uh, Greek gods and whatever. And I was like, oh, hey, look, it's Zeus, whatever. And that's when my dad explained to me how lightning works. And then when we moved to Belmont, like we haven't been there a year or a year and a half. And that's when we get the huge 2002 December ice storm where um, basically all of the trees in the backyard that were less than two inches across were flattened onto the ground. Um, We didn't have power for about five days. And uh, the night that the freezing rain was coming down, um, you just see these blue flashes every now and then of the transformers blowing. Um, at the time, I thought it was lightning, but um, that was probably the the two biggest things, just like of seeing the power of rain that I went out there and like it was wet on my hand. Um, and then the next morning, everything had uh, about an inch or more of ice accumulation. Um, there you go. And how about you, Brandon? Um, actually, mine was probably pretty similar to uh, Matt's. I mean, growing up in Florida, it was definitely the 0405 hurricane season was a major nail in the coffin. I mean, it was just so much going on, especially down in South Florida, where I'm from, the Naples area. It was between Charlie, Wilma, Francis, Gene. It was it was a busy couple years, two years there, and um, that was 
I was probably the nail in the coffin. I, I had a fascination prior to that. I always kind of was split between uh, weather and actually some sort of marine, marine biology, because I grew up on an island. So I was kind of surrounded by water. And so I was kind of split there. And once and I kind of started splitting away from the whole uh, um, marine thing. And then basically 0405 came and that was that. And then I started like kind of like kids. I always watched the Weather Channel, but started seeing some other things. And then I got into tornadoes and that was that. And once I got into tornadoes, I was set for life. You ever been out west? To chase uh, actually, I was uh, out there. I've been out there a couple times. Um, I was actually out there this past May. I was actually uh, probably about a quarter mile from that Ray, Colorado tornado. Um, you're right there, maybe a little, no, between a quarter and a half mile from that Ray tornado. So we were out there for Ray, and then we were also out there for the. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw the video of the Winewood, Katie tornado. We were out there. A couple of us were out there for that and the Sulfur tornado. So that was. That was definitely a, a change of pace. Um, it was my second time being out there. The first time didn't go so well. We kind of, it was a nice blue sky bust, but got to meet Jim Cantore that time. But the second time was a little more exciting. We definitely saw a lot and was, that was planning to do it again. So Very good. We're glad to have you guys tonight. And we always love to have students on to talk about their experience in meteorology because, uh, you know, you guys are where it all starts. And, this is where uh, the meteorology field grows as a whole. So uh, with that said, I think we're going to wrap the show up tonight. We'll go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up on the future shows. But first, one thing we, we always do as well is let each of our guests talk about how to get uh, in contact with them via social media or whatnot. So we'll start with you, Brandon. Uh, yeah, um, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter. At, it's at BrandonMasters3, all one word. Um, you can probably see it in a lot of tweets that Shay's put out last day or so. Um, that's probably the best way to get to me. Um, for sure, I use Twitter a lot, so I'm pretty active on Twitter. And that's my main social media outlet. Okay, and you, Matthew? Uh, my biggest one is pretty much Twitter as well, uh, at Reagan Matt. So that's Reagan, like the president, R-E-A-G-A-N, Matt. And uh, if people have questions, they can shoot me a message or follow me and I'll slide into my DMs or something, whatever you want to do. And uh, I'll shoot some answers, whatever, back at your way. All right. And Kit, even though he's our panelist, go ahead. For right now, at KitCWX is where you can reach me. Facebook, if you want, uh, Kit Kloniger. Um, I'm the only one out there, so you won't have any trouble finding me. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for coming on. We'd love to have you back on again if, if you're up for it down the road. Uh, we do have a few shows lined up. And the next few weeks, actually, we're booked all the way through about the middle of December. So next week, we do the South Carolina October flooding event, which we had to carry over from early October because of Hurricane Matthew. We'll have Rob Fowler with WCBD News 2 in Charleston. And we'll also have Jim Gandy with WLTX in Columbia. He's chief meteorologist there. We're waiting to hear back from Ed Petrowski from Myrtle Beach at WPDE. And then after that, we go into... The second week, I'm sorry, third week in November, let me look up the events here. I had them all memorized at one point, but uh, we go to winter preview with the weather pros on November 16th. And then November 30th, we do review the 2016 hurricane season with Michael Lowry of the Weather Channel. He's going to be joining us. And then the week after that, we go into the real threats of flooding with Dr. Marshall Shepard of Weather Geeks, uh, also on the Weather Channel as well. So we have a, 
uh, quite a few interesting weeks ahead, so stay tuned. And with that said, I'll leave it to James to go ahead and end the show. And everyone have a great night. Thanks, Shay. You can check out our website, carolinaweathergroup.com, or you can check out our weekly podcast. If you miss, miss tonight's show or want to replay any of our recent shows, take them on the go with you. You can check that out now on the iTunes and Google Play stores. They're all up to date as of this week. So uh, we hope you will uh, find the best time to consume our podcast. And we're always looking to interact with you on social media. Thanks so much for watching and listening this week. We'll see you next week.